Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Kelly Ford. Kelly, welcome back. We have Maxion. The calendar has turned. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Brett. You mentioned it. We have Maxion, so you know it's that time of year, and it is November. This is the money time. This is when everything comes to a head uh, for college football teams. It's the most exciting month of the year, in my opinion, capped off with, of course, rivalry week on Thanksgiving weekend. So we are still a couple weeks away from that, and there's a lot of big games to get to before then. But this is my favorite. College football is my favorite sport. The fall, then, is my favorite time of year. This is my favorite month, Brett, within that time frame, just because it feels like the stakes are raised. And I know regular season is paramount for both you and me. This is a regular season sport. But the implications that these regular season games have, plus all the rivalry aspects that we get, makes this month just something else. It snowed, Brett, during some action. I know you were there. Um, I was was trick-or-treating with the kids. It snowed on us, too. So a little bit less enjoyable environment for um, that snow. But, dude, when it starts snowing during college football games, there's just no better feeling. I, I love it, Brett. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm starting to get the uh, the tingles for bowl season because I do love bowl season. But bowl season means the regular season is over, and that is sad for me. So I agree. This is the this is probably college football's best month, and a little bit of a shameless plug. I uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Road to CFB because I will be going to more matching games uh, since I live in the area. And also, uh, don't forget to follow at the Lines US on Twitter. Kelly, your work can be found at a at K Ford Ratings. And we'll be here every single week for the remainder of the college football season, breaking down weeknight slates like we are here, as well as the Saturday slates. And if you're looking for the match and rundown, I know uh, we're recording here Wednesday. We got some Wednesday games. You can find those. I did record those. Uh, those are up. But we're here to talk what I think is a, a maybe the best slate of Thursday and Friday games since maybe week one. Um, but I don't really count week one because they, they split that intentionally. This is just a great, a, a great weeknight slate. And I, I want to start off in the Big 12. Uh, TCU is on the road at Texas Tech. The home team Red Raiders are actually three-point favorites. I had to double-check that one to make sure I was getting it right. Uh, kind of a surprising line, maybe. Uh, we'll dive into it. And this game has an over-under of 59.5 points. It kicks off Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Texas Tech quarterback Baron Morton, he's questionable for the game, a little bit dinged up. Uh, Tech is coming off of uh, not a full bye because they're playing on uh, Thursday, but you know he's had some extra time to, to rest and, and recover and hopefully get out there. He's not been great. He's not been bad, but he's not been great. 57% completion, five turnover-worthy throws, but eight touchdowns, only two picks. He did take over week four as a starter when Tyler Shuck went down like he did last year, and, and this is just a, a third year in a row, I think, for Texas Tech where they're dealing with a lot of injuries to their quarterback room. Running back Taj Brooks, he's been the engine for this offense so far. He's gone over 100 yards in five of his last six games. The only time that he didn't is when he went for 98 yards against Kansas State. And come on, guys, couldn't we give him one more carry to break the 100? He's also uh, scored in four straight games on the ground. He goes against the TCU defense that just gave up in their last game 343 yards on the ground to Kansas State in that prolific rushing offense. Only Arkansas nationally has given up more 20-plus yard plays this year than TCU. I think we're far enough away from that wild back-and-forth Colorado game to know that it's no longer an anomaly. It's no longer skewed. Uh, they just give up explosive plays. That's just what this TCU defense does. But a big deal for the Horn Frogs, linebacker Johnny Hodges is expected to return. He did return to practice this week. 
He's their defensive captain. He's their best run stopper by far. Without him, this defense is absolutely not the same. And I'm not going to say he would have held Kansas State to 150 yards, but him being out was a big reason why Kansas State was able to go for almost 350. TCU, though, is a team incredibly inconsistent. Without, uh, almost without any exception, they just beat really bad teams and then lose to everybody else. SMU may be an exception, but SMU's improved a lot. And to be honest, if that game was played again today, I don't know how it would go, even in Fort Worth. But of course, that's playing the what-if game. There are other wins on their slate, Houston, BYU, and Nichols. Uh, so not exactly a murderer's row of, uh, of wins. I'm interested uh, what the resume rankings would be uh, in, in, in your estimation. Uh, really quick, quarterback Hoover, uh, Josh Hoover had a big game in his starting debut against BYU, but he's thrown the ball 101 times in two games, and to me, that's absolutely unacceptable. What are we doing, guys? I like, Yeah, okay, it results in a big win over BYU. That's fine. But then you got crushed 41-3 to Kansas, uh, Kansas State, and I'm not saying, like, you know, it's a negative game strip, so of course you're going to throw the ball more, but run the ball a little bit, will you? Your offense wasn't getting anything going. You have this new guy coming in. Thrown way too many times. He's also pressured 17 times against Kansas State. Tex Tech, pretty decent pass rush made up of veterans and transfers. And uh, the wide receivers for Hoover have nine drops in two and a half games. That will happen when you change quarterbacks, but it's not like you change it handedness. So the receivers need to pick it up. Brett, just to answer your question, TCU number 53 in the most deserving, Texas Tech number 55. So both these teams oh boy, sitting okay. in the 50s with regard to deservedness, which um, – you know, if it puts it in perspective, they're actually both behind two and six Arkansas, who's at number 51. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not great from that regard. But, Brett, this game has a watchability score of 8.2. Uh, it's a top 10 game of the week for me, and I agree with you. This could be, you know, one of, if not the best midweek slates of games we've had since that extended week one, which, as you said, is kind of its own thing and doesn't really count because of how they kind of schedule week one every single year. I have this game as a pick em. Um, It's a 51% win expectancy for Texas Tech. There is no denying it, and I kind of touched on it with the most deserving rankings, though. Both these teams are having really terribly disappointing seasons. Uh, In the preseason, my numbers gave TCU a 95% chance to go bowling. Texas Tech had an 88% chance to win six games. Now, Brett, TCU's chances are down to just 59%. Texas Tech all the way down to just 17% chance to go bowling. At 4-4, four and four, TCU has 2.1 fewer wins than my preseason realistic expectations projected through Week 9. And at 3-5, and five, Texas Tech has 2.3 fewer wins than projected. Both of these, uh, Brett, rank in the bottom 10 in all of FBS with regard to um, achievement with re- win-loss record relative to expected in the preseason. So... Both these teams' offenses are at season lows right now, Brett. TCU at 34, Texas Tech at 41. Uh, the defense is ranked number 38 and number 42, respectively. So that's how, I mean, that's how you're getting a pick them here. The, these units are pretty comparable on both sides. And the reason it has a decent watchability score, 8.2, I mean, I'd say that's better than decent, is because these are still quality teams, even if their records aren't necessarily reflecting that. Um, so by, by my numbers, TCU is the slightly better team. They have the slight advantage on both sides of the ball. But they still end up with just a 49% win expectancy because this game is in Lubbock. So that home field, to me, is what could end up making the difference in this game. And in my opinion, maybe why we've got the line that we do here from Vegas. Both these teams were off last week. And this is a big swing game with regard to bowl eligibility, Brett. So I expect both sides really to be pulling out all the stops in this one. Bottom line, I have this game as a pick with the smallest of leans towards the Red Raiders at home. 
Yeah, you won't catch me uh, laying the points with Texas Tech at home, that's for sure. And honestly, I don't know if I'm taking the points with TCU either. They're just too darn inconsistent. I don't trust their offensive play calling. I don't trust their offense, but Texas Tech is the less healthy team and just – like you said, TCU is probably the better team, but do I trust them to go into Lubbock, which by all accounts is a very, very difficult place to play. And this is a rivalry. It, it is. It may not be the biggest rivalry, but it sure is one. So I went with a play on the total. I'm actually going to play under 59 and a half points in this game. I don't believe in either offense uh, or at least their ability to be all that consistent. And despite running the third fastest offense in the country, TCU, they're only 54th in points per drive and 47th in success rate. That just tells you the inconsistencies there. TCU has also been held to 21 or fewer points in three of their last four when they played competent defenses, BYU being the lone exception to that. So this offense also isn't getting going, and that was with Chandler Morris and Josh Hoover. So I've seen both sides. Texas Tech has the third most turnovers in the country in their last three games. Uh, They get stuffed by any defense that has a slight pulse. Uh, BYU, they only just scored 14 points against them. That's not a good look. They only scored 21 against Kansas State and 13 against West Virginia. So this feels like it's priced like they're expecting this old-school Big 12 shootout, and they looked at the pace and said, wow, these offenses like to run fast, which they do, but they're not very successful at it. So I don't believe that's what we have on here. Under 59.5 points is the play for me. Moving forward to the Sun Belt, we have South Alabama. Big one here. Really, I'm glad that this one is on a, a weeknight so it can get its proper attention. South Alabama on the road at Troy. The Trojans are five-and-a-half point home favorites, and this game carries an over-under 45-and-a-half points. Kicks off Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Both South Alabama and the under took money. Uh, this one midweek, and there's a big reason why South Alabama took the money. Quarterback Carter Bradley was announced to have returned to practice and is likely to play this week. It's a really big deal for the Jags. The big matchup I'm watching for here, LaDamian Webb, the running back for South Alabama against Troy's run defense. Troy's 14th in rush EPA and 34th in success rate, so they're giving up more reasonable chunk yards and not as many explosives. Webb is the national co-leader in touchdown score with 13. How about that? hundred. Uh, he's gone for over 100 rushing yards in three or four games. And, of course, the one exception, just like we talked about Taj Brooks, was 96 yards against Louisiana. Come on, guys, give him one more carry. He did score a uh, rushing touchdown in his last seven games, though, after coming up empty in week one, hence why he is the national co-leader. Uh, but the most effective game, honestly, for South Alabama is actually the passing game, and that's why Carter Bradley coming back is a big deal. Slot receiver Colin Lacey leads the Sun Belt in receiving. He's the second national leader in yards. Like, we, we're not used to talking about South Alabama having all these national leaders in offensive categories, but hey, here they are. Uh, do note, though, that Lacey splits work. If you look at the, the, the body of work as a whole with Jamal Pritchett, uh, he's a five foot eight receiver. And I was like, why isn't he in the slot? No, he's, he's a wide out at 5'8", uh, speedy guy. He saw 18 targets last week, though. So there was a clear game plan. The man was getting open, so it is split a little bit. Lacey is the go-to on this offense. Troy, they're also top 15 EPA against the pass. Their only two losses on the season are Kansas State and James Madison. That's not too bad. Uh, their strength of record splits, I do have to point this out, because when you do look at teams that may be close to being even, you know, under a, a, within a score under one touchdown, I like to look at their strength of record, strength of schedule, a little bit of a disparity here. Troy is 42nd, according to ESPN's FPI, and South Alabama's 91st. So Troy's proven themselves much more. I'm sure your resume rankings would uh, back that up as well. Troy has been 
completely unable to run the football. Contrary to last year, they were one of the better uh, rushing football teams, honestly, in the, in the country, if not just the Sun Belt. But they've been unable to do it this year. They're 125th in rushing success rate. They just came off a game in which Texas State, whose defense is pretty good, but held them to just 37 rushing yards as a team. Uh, the offensive line, absolute disaster. That, that's, that's where it starts and ends here at their inability to run the ball. But this isn't last year's South Alabama's defense. They have regressed from 23rd nationally in points per drive uh, allowed to 42nd. And again, that's against the 106th ranked strength, strength of schedule, according to the FPI. So it's not just a 19-spot uh, drop back. You also have to take into account they're playing a much easier schedule than they did last year and still coming up a lot shorter. Yeah, Brett, just real quick on the resume, since you mentioned it, I do have Troy, number 43, most deserving. South Alabama's number 58 in the most deserving. Okay. Signific- right. Significantly better than ESPN strength of record or even my record achievement because of the impact that the relative scoring margin has on this where South Alabama does rank 44th in the country. So um, Troy, the mo- more deserving team, but <laughs> South Alabama a little bit closer to them uh, because of relative scoring margin and how I incorporate that. So I agree with you. This is a really good game out of the Sun Belt. It's got some big impact applications that I'm going to talk about. It's got a watchability score of 7.1. I have Troy minus three, which is a 59% win expectancy for the Trojans. I'm very excited about this game, Brett. Um, Control of the Sun Belt West is on the line. Currently, Troy has a 71% chance to win the division. South Alabama has just a 16% chance. A win for Troy, you know, as, as my numbers project in this game, all but secures the title for the Trojans. However, if South Alabama wins, the race would be close um, and and really could come down to the wire here with South Alabama having that head-to-head, which could end up being the deciding factor at the end of the day. Overall, Troy's power rating of 3.8 and corresponding ranking of number 47 are both season bests. Uh, At number 77, this is the best the Troy offense has been ranked all season as well. But it's not as good as the South Alabama defense that ranks number 69 for me. Uh, It's the other side of the ball, though, that features the strength on strength in this game, as you mentioned, Brett. At number 21, the Troy defense is the best unit in this game, uh, and it's the strongest opposing defense that the number 56 South Alabama offense will face all season. Troy is the slightly better team uh, with the best unit in this game, and they have the home field advantage. All of that leads me to a bottom line of having Troy minus three, uh, 41% chance that South Alabama secures the upset win on the road and keeps this West race competitive into mid-November at least. Yeah, Carter, Bra- uh, Carter Bradley being back is, is really a difference for me, but that the best number is long gone. Uh, plus seven was out there. It's most certainly not now. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's where I'm looking, but... The, uh, the over-under didn't move very much, in, in, or it was at least a little bit slower to move. Uh, and in that case, Carter Bradley matters to both point spread and the point total. And so I think I'm looking over 45.5 points. Uh, that's, that's my play on this one. Uh, kind of difficult to say with a couple of uh, ironclad defenses. But again, that's, that's just a, a, a systemic play in that the, the starting quarterback comes back, point spread moves, point total doesn't, over for me. I, I did, so we're not going to talk about uh, Duke Wake Forest. That's, that's the one we left out. I'm sorry. I found it the least interesting of the group. But do note, uh, just a quick programming note for the Duke Blue Devils, uh, don't treat them like they're at full strength until Riley Leonard returns. We talked about it last week. They scored zero points uh, against Louisville, and, and I tried to warn you. So, hey, don't, don't be betting on them. Don't be laying any points with them until, uh, 
until Riley Leonard's back. Okay, uh, moving forward. We have, uh, staying in the ACC, Boston College on the road at Syracuse. The Orange are two-and-a-half-point home favorites. That has moved down through three, do note. And this game carries an over-under 51-and-a-half, or 51 points, 51-and-a-half in some spots. Uh, this game kicks off Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. And we are playing it in the vaunted JMA Wireless Dome, the artist formerly known as the Carrier Dome. I don't think that one really applies here because this isn't Clemson or Florida State or Miami coming to town, though. Um, but I'm just not sure how many more times we're going to get to talk about a Syracuse home game uh, left on the schedule. And, guys, don't look now, but Boston College, they've won four games in a row. Uh, how Not bad. They're uh, four and four now, I think, or, or, or potentially even five and three. Uh, five not and three. bad for, for a team that was, like, kicked to the curb and, and at left for absolute dead. Quarterback Thomas uh, Castellanos, he left last game, but he did return. It is important. He returned, and he played fine. It was just a tweak to something, and, and he got taped up and, and back in. He's been pretty decent this season for Boston College, but if I had to bo- pick a bone with him, he has uh, too many turnovers, too many turnover-worthy throws. His receivers haven't helped him. 20 drops this season. That is that is not great. Uh, but they are improving week over week. They had 11 in the first couple of games, and then it's been about 2, 3, 1 uh, every game since then. I do believe, though, that he is really missing wide receiver Ryan O'Keefe. He suffered a, a scary neck injury a few weeks back. Uh, was rushed to the hospital. He's okay. Uh, okay enough, but he's not playing. He's, he's still week to week. Running back Pat Garwo is also uh, TBD to play. So the couple of big big players here, questionable, at least banged up. Even You kind of have to treat um, Castellanos like he's banged up as well. He is a very good rusher as well, and Syracuse struggles with mobile quarterbacks, like we mentioned last week. In fact, they just struggle against the run, period. You can line it up, run it straight at them, and there's not much they can do about it. They do have a mobile quarterback of their own, though, Garrett Schrader. He was sacked seven times last week, and that resulted in Syracuse rushing 25 times for exactly 0.0 yards uh, in a in an ugly loss against Virginia Tech. Kelly, I'm worried about this team. They are not headed in the right time. I thought maybe it was an excuse because they played a bunch of top-tier teams in the ACC back-to-back-to-back. I, maybe they're beat up, but they just got shredded by Virginia Tech, and that's not something you, you really want to say. Uh, Boston College, in their own right, they're pretty middling against the run, 76th in success rate allowed on the ground. But they do also allow mobile quarterbacks to pick up yards. They gave up 150 yards to Haynes King, who, by my accounts, I would not call a uh, standard dual-threat quarterback, but he can make plays with, with his legs when he needs to, as, as highlighted by his 150 yards on the ground. I also want to know, is Garrett Schrader hurt? Someone more familiar with Syracuse football, please let me know. He's had seven total rush attempts in the last two games. He fumbles a lot, so maybe it's that, but I saw him rush for 200 yards against Purdue. Come on. Like, why, why is he not at least attempting more? That, that, to me, says he's either hurt or the coaching staff doesn't trust him. What do your numbers yeah. say about this game? Brett, uh, my numbers say a lot about this game. Uh, as people know by now, I don't bet any college football games or any sporting event if it's a sport that the NCAA sponsors due to my day job. But even if I did, I wouldn't touch this game. Like on either way, on anything, I just I, I really don't know. These are two teams. I'm going to get into it. Who it's it's been hard to really get a grasp on where are they currently. This game has a watchability score of 6.0. I have Syracuse. Actually, Brett, and it kind of makes me sick to say, I have Syracuse minus seven in this game by the model. It's a 69% win expectancy for the Orange. But here's my issue with all of it. Syracuse started the season 4-0. They rose to as high as number 22 in both the power ratings and the most deserving rankings, actually, in different weeks. But that was their high watermark. The Orange have now lost, as you mentioned, Brett, four in a row. Their power rating of 1.0 and corresponding ranking of number 60 are both season lows now. 
Both units are currently ranked season lows as well, with the defense checking in at number 47, the offense at number 71. So we definitely have issues on the offensive side of the ball, as you pointed to. The model thinks that this is the week Syracuse gets their season back on track, though. But I actually think that's mainly due to its view of Boston College. So Boston College at 5-3, and three, riding a four-game winning streak, as you mentioned. The Eagles are actually having a, a really good season relative to expectations here, despite the unexpected week one loss to NIU. Like, we, we didn't they have high expectations. Six, they should be 6-2. I, 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 I know. Like, we didn't have high expectations coming in. They lose NIU, and I'm like, man, maybe it was even worse. Now they've kind of turned it around in that regard. So from a record standpoint, still not sold on the model. Boston College had the easiest projected schedule of any Power 5 team in the preseason. Because of that, they had a 47% chance to go bowling, despite being power rated just number 78 in the preseason. They're now power rated number 79, so actually one spot below where they were, but the Eagles' chances to go bowling are up to 80%. I mean, you're one game away, and you're like, okay, that's pretty good, but if you flip that around, that also means there's a 20% chance, that a 1-5 in five chance, that Boston College closes the season with four straight losses. That's probably higher than you would expect for a team that's on a four-game winning streak and just one win away from being bowl eligible. So again, this is like all sorts of conflicting signals here on both of these teams. Syracuse should have the advantage on both sides of the ball. This game is at home for the Orange. Bottom line, the model has Syracuse minus 7 and a 31% chance that Boston College punches their bowl ticket this week. But, Brett, I really, I, I really don't know. Like, I, I rarely <laughs> say I just have no idea. This is one of those games that I, I really have no idea. I'll be watching because I'm excited to see how it plays out. And it, it is a, it's a weeknight game here, so you can give it the full attention. But um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Sadly, so I, I pulled up the ACC standings because I, I want to know, well, what happened if they didn't lose NIU? It really wouldn't move them up all that far. Um, actually, I don't think it would move them up at all in the ACC standing. And I know it's non-con. I get that before people start angrily typing comments in there. Ooh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm just looking at their overall record. Um, no, it, it, it wouldn't really move where they're at right now. They're two and two in the ACC. Uh, squarely in the mix though. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a tick behind Miami and UNC. Uh, Georgia Tech currently, because they hold the tiebreaker over North Carolina, is fourth in the conference. And Virginia Tech, three and one. They're third mm-hmm. in the conference. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Virginia Tech soon because they're a team on the – They are. Uh, up and up, and, and I don't know that the mark has really gotten a grasp on that. Uh, e- either way, if this game was in Chestnut Hill – and the line was the same, which it wouldn't be. But if it was the same, I'd pick Boston College to win outright. This is a team on the opposite tra- opposite trajectory of Syracuse, and at this point in the season, that to me is important. You got it. You know, you can look at the season as a whole. I always worry about looking at season long stats without context, because if you just look and say, "Well, okay," then Syracuse should be better. This is why, at this point in the season, you're going to start hearing me saying last three, last four, last five a lot more than season long because, you know, you need a snapshot of how these teams are playing today. They're not NFL franchises, and even NFL franchises are inconsistent throughout the year. But these college ones, especially when we're talking about ACC, Boston College, Syracuse types, I I mean, you saw it last year with Syracuse. You see it this year with Syracuse. Two different teams in September and the rest of the year. And you said that – you know, there's just one win away from pole eligibility. That matters too. It's a lot of uh, motivation there. However, my lone hesitation here is a recent strength of schedule. 
it's tough. Boston College is on the up and up, and Syracuse is on the way down. But look at this. At Boston College, the average power rank on their four-game winning streak of their opponents, 97th by my aggregated power ratings. Syracuse, 29th. And the only thing dragging down that 29 is because Virginia Tech is still lagging in the model, and they're 62nd. But as I just pointed out, they're 3-1 and one in the ACC and third. So I think that's actually like a quality loss. Uh, the way that they lost is not quality, but I don't think it's that bad an opponent. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I can't get behind a side on either of this because Boston College has beaten a bunch of cupcakes and Syracuse lost, lost to a bunch of good teams. But, again, I do worry about trajectory. You won't catch, him, you won't catch me uh, betting Syracuse in this one. All right, our last game on the schedule, we have Colorado State on the road at Wyoming. Uh, Kelly, I was disappointed. I was promised a snow game in Colorado State Air Force, and we did not get that snow game. Uh, It looked actually kind of like when Maction fired up the other night and there was no snow. They had shoveled it all off the field. Uh, Anyway, Wyoming, a seven-point home favorite in this one. The over-under set at just 42 points. This game kicks off Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Kelly, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a history lesson. Those that have listened to us know I love college football lore. I love college football history. And if it doesn't have anything to do with betting, you can go ahead and, and scrub forward if you're not interested. But I love this kind of stuff. This is a big-time rivalry game. It is the border war. I've, how, how did they secure that name besides anybody else? Uh, they play for the bronze boot. Wyoming has 50 wins over Colorado State. That is more wins than they have against any other team in the country. And this is the 115th edition of the border war. Their first meeting came back in 1899, where Colorado Agricultural is the, is the name of the school. Then they won via a forfeit. <laughs> that is the way that this kicked off. But it was under interesting circumstances because of a disagreement between referees or officials from the two schools. And the refs used to be provided by the schools, which is hilarious uh, by, by my estimation. Now, Wyoming said, nope. We're not playing this game. Colorado State, you're cheating. Your official isn't, isn't being fair. And then Colorado State started to walk off the field. And as they did, Wyoming ran in a touchdown. Colorado State later demanded a written apology from Wyoming. Not clear if they got one, but they played ever since. I think that is an awesome start to this rivalry. I, I went down such a rabbit hole to find all that stuff. Um, so there you go. Also, one more useless dumb fact before we actually get into the breaking down of this game. This is the third tallest combination of schools that we can have in the FBS. Wyoming, of course, highest elevation in the FBS, and they're hosting. Colorado State is fourth. So if you're looking at a, a elevation thing, uh, there's no elevation advantage for Wyoming in this one. Okay. Uh, it's going to be windy. Sustained winds over 20 miles an hour. Those that are familiar with Laramie, Wyoming, that's not surprising. They're going to be higher gusts, but the wind is looking like it's going to die down in the second half. So... I'm either looking at first half under, which I can only see 20 and a half. I don't love that because it is under the 21 or maybe a second half over. If you can lie, bet that at halftime, if the wind was really affecting the game in the first half, if it wasn't careful, but if it was keep an eye on the forecast, see if it's dying down, maybe a play to the over in the second half live uh, might be the way to go here. Uh, Wyoming individually. What the heck happened last week? 125 yards from scrimmage. Uh, whoops, I know Boise State is decent, but they're not playing all that well. They're only 4-4. Four and four. Um, 125 yards from scrimmage is unacceptable. 23% success rate, one explosive play. That is a bad, bad offensive outing for the Cowboys. A loss for Colorado State here gives them absolutely no error in their final three games. They have San Diego State, Nevada, and at Hawaii. Games 9, 10, and 11 in a row for them. That's worrisome. And actually, so much worrisome that even in game eight in a row, 
I worry about Colorado State just flat out running out of gas, both in this game and just in general. They had a couple of shootouts with Colorado, of course, emotionally charged game. They had a shootout with Middle Tennessee. They blew a 17-0 first quarter lead against Utah State, had a Hail Mary against Boise State, and then they've lost their last two. Their bye week was in week two. Whoever scheduled that one, Colorado State didn't play in week zero. Whoever scheduled that week two bye, not great, guys. Uh, The two questions that I have, though, just in general for this game, does Wyoming have anybody that can defend receiver Torrey Horton, one of the best receivers in the entire country, and does Colorado State have anyone besides Torrey Horton to go to should Wyoming find a counter? I don't have answers to those two questions, Brent. We're going to find out during the game, but I do have comments to your opening remarks, which, by the way, I absolutely love the college football history and what you're bringing to the table in that regard. For me, okay, I hear border war. I think Kansas-Missouri. Like, that's where my head goes. the same thing. Yeah. And I know they tried to change the name to that to Border Showdown or something. And, uh, like, it's like trying to change the Red River Shootout. Like, it's, you know, just don't. It's the border war. I get it. Let's roll with it. And then you said the bronze boot. That got me thinking. I go, wait a minute. Arkansas LSU plays for a, but- a boot. Uh, that is the battle for the golden boot, as I looked it up here. I knew the trophy was a boot. I couldn't remember what it was called, the golden boot. So we've got a couple border wars. We've got a couple boots. I did not know that Colorado State and Wyoming were in this category, but I absolutely love it, Brett. That's why I love talking to you. You bring the history, and it's great. This game has a watchability score of 4.2, so maybe not on the same level as these other ones we've talked about on this episode. I have Wyoming minus 9. It's a 74% win expectancy for the Cowboys. At 2-2 in conference play, Wyoming still has a shot at the Mountain West championship game. But they'll likely need to win out because they've already lost a tiebreaker to both Air Force and Boise State. With the number 90 offense and a season-worst number 75 defense, my numbers give Wyoming the edge on both sides of the ball in this one. Plus, it's in Laramie, uh, which, as you mentioned, is good home field advantage. Cowboys are 5-0. and at home this season, including a really good win uh, to open the year. So the model has been dialed in on Colorado State this season. The Rams had a 35% chance to go bowling in the preseason. It's now 39%. An upset win here could be huge to avoiding the pressure of needing to finish 3-0 and to reach that six-win mark. Bottom line, I have Wyoming minus nine, 26% chance that Colorado State wins in Laramie, something no visiting team has been able to do in 2023, Brett. I had to look it up just because, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of uh, similarities in this rivalry to other ones. Uh, Kansas-Missouri does get the nod for Border War. They did start first in 1891, but they do predate – well, uh, Colorado State-Wyoming predates LSU-Arkansas by two years. Okay. So okay. Bron- bronze boots theirs. Who stole it from who? Uh, probably neither because I don't know if they were aware of each other's rivalries at that point in time. Uh, yeah, home field advantage, Colorado State running out of gas. That worries me. It's probably Wyoming at minus seven or better for me in this game at home, even with the low total. Um, wheels hats fall off eventually. We see it all the time with these teams that play 11 games in a row, so I do worry about that. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in the college football channel. There you can join a sharp and active community. You can even get some boots on the ground intel from me going to action games so long as uh, my service works in those stadiums, which it usually doesn't. But uh, don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long, just like this one. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice. Be sure to let us know down in the comments where you stand on each of these games. We've had a lot of opinions in there, a lot of people going back and forth. It's been awesome, so keep that up. Let us know if you agree, disagree, if you have any parting shots with uh, with what I bring to the table or uh, whether or not uh, Kirby Smart 
plays to cover spreads or whatever the latest dumb comment was. Uh, anyway, and drop a good review on the show if you did like it. Kelly, before we close up shop here, please let everybody know where they can find your work. You can find me on X at KFORD Ratings, the website KFORDRatings.com, and of course over at thelines.com doing a couple articles every single week on the best sport in the world, college football. Well, thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.